0: Welcome back. Uh, We are having conversation number two in the State of the Church series and uh, for this podcast I am with my good friend Brett and my friend Jorn and we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, six different points that Dan gave us in that last video. Maybe you need to go back and refresh and and review them again but as we look at these six different things that um, that the church is being faced with. I'm just curious, guys, wh- which one of those resonate the most with you? Which ones maybe trouble you the most as we look at the state of the church?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of them really hit home. I mean, Dan read this letter from a pastor uh, who's pastoring in the, the Church of Iran, which is the fastest growing church in mm-hmm. the world right now. And of course they have none of the democratic freedoms that we enjoy here. So they're not practicing their faith openly. They don't have a church they can go to. They're not, you know, doing any of the things that we just sort of take for granted. And yet they are flourishing and prospering and growing in many important ways that we're actually struggling with here in America. So it's really challenging to think that, you know, we don't necessarily need all of the different things that we are accustomed to dealing with to actually grow. And maybe, in some way, they're an impediment. You wouldn't wish persecution on any church in anywhere, certainly not ourselves, right? No, no. <laughs> But it's instructive to look at that. So, I mean, the first point that Dan made was just about behaviors, that when they do polls um, between people who identify themselves as Christians and people who do not, and uh, then they run through a series of behaviors there's hardly any difference, uh, and Dan walks through a bunch of those in terms of like alcohol consumption and gambling and even lying and stealing things that like would be just outright immoral. Christians, you know, when when they're anonymous, then they answer the questions. They go, "Yeah, I, I do that too." And so there's no difference, uh, hardly, uh, except in one or two kind of minor things. So that's that's striking, especially when we yeah. say that. We're followers of Jesus. We're looking to apprentice his lifestyle, to actually become more like him, to say no to a bunch of things that are sort of natural to us and live a lifestyle following him. Um, The other one that it made me think of was how we talk to people that we disagree with. And Mm. in our country, this is huge right now. We're so polarized. Um, Hardly anybody can even talk to anybody who disagrees with them. And I have a feeling, it wasn't necessarily on the poll, but I have a feeling that Christians are about the same, yeah. that if, if somebody says something we don't agree with, they don't right. like the political candidate that we back, we say they're crazy, I love, you know, they're Hitler, that's my favorite one. As yeah. soon as somebody disagrees with you this much, boom, they're yep. Hitler, yep. you know, you unfollow them, uh, you unfriend them, or the algorithm does it for you. you, yeah, you it's live a in cancel the, culture, yeah. culture, you know. Yeah. Every, and that's the thing, Yeah, that's typically, you know, reserved for one side of the equation versus the other, but... Really, everybody's got their own pet conspiracies. Everybody's got their own canceling that they're doing, you know, that they're not listening yeah. to, fingers in their ears. And I just feel like you know, I'm provoked in this day and age to uh, behave differently on Facebook, on Inst- Instagram, on social media, and everywhere else to actually love my neighbor better.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think you know, there's a standard that we're called to, that we see you know, scripturally, that we see historically. Um, and you know, when Jesus says, you know, love your neighbor and love your enemy, sometimes they're the same, (laughs) you know, and they're across the street from you. Um, And I I know that, you know, for me personally, you know, to be stretched in that area, not to, you know, just buy into all the rhetoric that's, you know, coming at us, you know, just from a thousand different viewpoints uh, and, you know, staying as close to Jesus as possible to hear his voice uh, to be able to discern that and also just to realize there's a biblical mandate that I have, you know, that you know structures my life and continually restructures it when I'm experiencing something new in culture that I didn't experience five or even 10 years ago or even uh, before the pandemic. I mean, right. you know, since the pandemic, yeah. a lot of these issues have really been heightened and, um, you know, they're just at the top of the list of the struggles that everybody is facing trying to figure out where they belong, who they belong to, you know, the tribalism is just so huge right now. I mean, it's just everywhere, and it's just hard to, you know, navigate that as a Christian sometimes, you know, but I think a lot of the times, you know, we just have to be honest. We're like ostriches, you know, you know, proverbially, you know, sticking our head in the Mm -hmm. sand, and, you know. Either we're fighting or we're just trying to ignore everything at the same time, and really neither of those tensions are going to work where we're at. Yeah, so it's
0: interesting, you know, specifically as we look at behaviors and that Christians, non-Christians, the behaviors aren't that different. Do you think that was something that really got exposed through the pandemic? Or, you know, as we look at the state of the church, Calvary, but also the big C church, how do we get so far from center? And when I say center, I'm, I'm talking the gospel uh, and, and being a Jesus apprentice. How, do you, where? Where do we get so far off the path? Yeah. yeah I mean, my thought, I,
1: Dan has shared a number of times, I can't remember exactly where he got this quote or this idea, um, that the, these times of trial, like the pandemic, for example, they don't uh, introduce new trends so much as accelerate existing mm, yeah, ones. And, I, right. you know, we talked a lot about that yes. a couple of years in our strategy meetings and some other places. And so my thought is this was always there in degree, but the pandemic, the last 24 to 30 months, really pushed us down the line. We're where we would have been mm, five years from point. now. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. And, and it magnified it. It yeah. magnified it to the world. The world has clearly been able to see and understand with much more perspective of where the church is really at. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, you're seeing in the surveys, well, most people think the church, they're hypocritical, they're judgmental, they're apolitical. You know, I think that, you know, part of what happened was in this acceleration was to create a broader perspective with everything that's happening in media and social media to be able to say like, oh, you know, the Mm. church is probably – know been like this and maybe people have like well maybe it's not really like that as much as i think but now it's been accentuated to the point of you know people can just see every little thing now i'm not i don't think that that's always fair to the church personally i mean you know we we are broken people and we're trying to work through the scenarios we need to work through to become like christ but i think it has created an awareness for us to be much more responsible with what's happening around us Mm, that's good
1: and one well, imagine, I mean, the church has always been called to live counterculturally, and I think what happened during the pandemic is that there was nothing countercultural in the church, yeah. and that might be a little mm-hmm. unfair, but just to just to be I blunt agree. about it. And imagine if, when the nation was just being ripped asunder by mask mandates, pro and con, Black Lives Matter, pro and con, you know, Republican Democrat, MAGA, the whole thing, mm-hmm, pro and right. con, one side or the other. Imagine if there had been uh, a prophetic witness in the church. It wasn't being swayed by any of that, but where we saw MAGA Republicans come together with woke liberals yeah, all right. submitting their agendas to the lordship of Jesus and mm. finding a, a yeah, prophetic yeah. third way yeah. that was actually healing these divisions rather than just exhibiting them and in some ways exacerbating them yeah. in the ways that the church can. That would have been completely different. So I, I think we're just, it pushed everybody five years down the yeah, line, yeah. and we kind of went with it, which was, disappointing but there's probably opportunities there now to yeah. explore.
2: And I, and I also think you know one of the points that we you know we're discussing or dan's discussing uh is you know the point of like well you know there was a time where 90 percent of americans considered themselves christian mm-hmm. and now you know we've you know at a place where i don't know it says like anywhere between 35 and 46 percent so i mean you're talking a 50 percent you know, drop in people's convictions of what it means to be a Christian. Yeah,
0: from 1972 is when yeah, that stat was. Yeah, from. so
2: 1972. So, I mean, you have to ask yourself, well, what what does that really mean? Did is the definition of what we say a Christian is uh, truly truly the biblical precedent? You know. Is it, I just believe in Jesus, or is it, I'm a follower of Jesus? You know, we talk about being a Jesus apprentice. You know, this is something that Dan is going to be hitting on through the Church of the State videos that we're looking at. And I think when it comes to say, I'm a Jesus apprentice, well, maybe the reality is, is that only 35% of America really are Jesus apprentices, Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, the idea of separating the difference between someone who prays and asks the Jesus to forgive them for their sins and someone who prays to make Jesus the Lord of their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a deep line in the sand, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that you have to decide which side you're on. And I think for us, there's just as many, you know, cultural Christians as there are any other, in any other culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, you know, able to, I, when we're able to identify that, I think we're able to communicate mm-hmm. better, make better decisions on how we're reaching the world, loving the world, why we need to be careful about all the, you know, scenarios we've just finished talking about uh, with the separations that we're experiencing and the deep division. Uh, It could be because a lot of people really aren't Jesus apprentices, you know, and it's okay. I don't think that that's always a negative scenario. I think if we're able to kind of get down to the place where, you know, Jesus said, well, you know, you call me Lord, but You know, you say, I'm Lord because of all these things. And Jesus is saying, No, really, I'm Lord because you obey me, not because of what you do, but simply because you understand obedience Mm. and you're going to live that out. That is a testimony that helps us then to, you know, resolve a lot of the things that we're experiencing right now in our culture. Yeah, that's good.
0: So there were six points. We touched on a couple of them. Were there any other things that really stood out? to you guys that really resonated with you, that really kind of like, ah, that just hurts, you know, because they all kind of do that to me. It it can be discouraging. Um, I know we want to look at the flip side of that, but is there anything else that really stood out?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, point six, Dan talked about Ed Stetzer's numbers. Uh, He's got this little metric about how to evaluate what the church looked like before the pandemic and now after the pandemic, and he broke it up into Mm thirds, sort of like, the most engaged, most devout—I don't think that's the word—but uh, the, say the most engaged segment, uh, the middle engaged, and then the the back engaged, and, and something that really got me thinking was this: this back third, back thirty percent. Ed says, you know, these were the people that would come to a church service a couple times a year, right? Christmas and Easter, mm-hmm. okay, which is fine. But what I didn't realize that Ed opened my eyes to was that. This back third was the main conversion intake for the church. Right. And that really did represent a major church growth strategy. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you've been in ministry, you know, for as long as we have, 20 years, 30 years, more, yes. or more, you know that, hey, those are, those are the Super Bowl Sundays, Christmas and Easter. You're going to get people in the doors that aren't normally going right. to be there. Right. So it's all hands on deck, game on. We're going to make this you know, a, a, an experience where people realize they need God. Hopefully they'll, they'll stay and be part of our community. Well, Ed says those people are not coming back. Yep. That, yeah. that by the numbers, those people that used to come a couple times a year, they're not here anymore. So that strategy is no longer a viable strategy. That's why the
2: church is shrinking also.
1: Yeah. Sure. We don't have that intake anymore. And so when we talk about how we're supposed to be structuring the life of a church and how we're supposed to be building a church, you know, we're never going to get rid of Sunday mornings and buildings per se, but I think, you know, and we've been talking about this, it's time to de-emphasize both of those mm, That's right, to a place yeah. where we've got different ways of introducing people to the community of faith, introducing them to the, the life-changing power of Jesus, rather than just building up the big pageant and the yep. big candata yeah. twice a year. That's how I grew up doing it. Yep, me too. And, right? and, hoping, you know, and then we send out the cards, everybody invite all their friends because we're really banking on this. It's not going to work anymore we got to find other ways of doing
2: it to move yeah. forward. I mean even like friend Sunday, I can remember sure. doing that <laughs> twice a year it was invite your friend to church and you know that was the big evangelistic thrust to get people to come to follow Jesus. Um but you know we're at again I think we I agree we're at a place where none of that's going to work and we need to find you know multiple on ramps the big on ramp isn't to the front door of the church anymore. You know the on ramp needs to be Into our living rooms, our dining rooms, you know, the coffee shops, our our coffee shops, the front yard, you know, our front yards in the summer times, whatever it is. I mean, we just have to see, you know, the template that God has given us scripturally and figure out how to implement that into our day to day lives um, to be people who are disciples making disciples.
0: Yeah, that's good. I I remember hearing um, a saying a long time ago, and it said, a negative. Is only a negative if we don't do something about it, and that's honestly what I love about having uh, these state of the church videos sure. and these conversations, yeah. uh, because we're not only aware of something, we want to do something about it to make a difference. We really want people to pursue Jesus and then become a disciple maker, and uh, so that. And then you started out by talking about that letter from the. The church of iran i mean my goodness and just to reiterate um what was written in that letter it said incredible things are happening in iran to and through iranians by the power of holy spirit we don't have the freedom that you have in america but i'll tell you this i'll take the iranian islamic regime over democratic freedom any day and he says i mean that why because the Holy Spirit is breathing on persecution we are enduring as disciples of Jesus in Iran, and the gospel is sweeping through our country with more might and power than COVID nineteen. Wow, that yeah. is so powerful to me. And honestly, I want to see that happen here. Right? I mean, how does that resonate with you guys?
2: I think for me, you know, it's it's something that you know Dan has used the analogy of the chess, of playing chess. And this idea of like, you know, if you're going to be a great chess player, you learn to play chess without a queen. like That's how you learn to be a good chess player, because you got to figure out how to navigate and Mm -hmm. strategically use the other pieces, because the queen has always been the significant, most powerful piece on the board. Mm -hmm. And so we look at the church kind of as the queen, and Sunday mornings as that great move to, you know, shift people's hearts and do the things we need to do and what we've already kind of talked about. But, you know, when you look at the Ar- Iranian church and they're saying, no, we don't have that, and look what's happening. Yeah. I think that, you know, again, we need to have the same kind of strategy of saying, well, what does it really mean to make a disciple? I mean, he says this in the letter, and and this really resonates with me. He said, Here, here's, here's what discipleship looks like in Iran. Number one, it can stand alone. You don't need a church. You don't need a building. You don't need to have anything organized literally it's it's that organic that it can literally stand alone any place. the second thing he said is it 's highly reproducible mm-hmm. like highly reproducible because it's this revelation that every person is the church <laughs> you know it's not you know a, a building it's not a a place where you meet it it's not created like that it's yeah. created in the context that no i I am the church the Living God lives inside of me, and, you know, who I am and what I have, I can offer anybody, anywhere, sure. anytime, and yeah. that's part of that, hey, your neighborhood, your dining room, your thing. And the third thing, and I think this is the, uh, the big issue, I think this is the big issue in the church, and that is that those people are completely obedient to Jesus, when Jesus tells them to do something, they do it. Yeah. They don't think about it, they don't pray about it, and say, mm-hmm. Oh, I need six months to figure out whether I'm gonna, you know, be a disciple or may-. no. When they say go do this, they do it. And I think for us the stumbling block really is obedience. Yeah. You know, we understand we have Jesus. We understand that we, we, we can go across the street and love our neighbor. We understand that if we really believe the gospel, the gospel has power to transport transform anybody's life but the issue really is i'm not willing to go across the street yep, yep. you know i'm not willing to listen to jesus that's so you know until we get to that place you know we're gonna go we're gonna revert back we're gonna rely on you know big events in the church on sunday and some evangelistic crusade out in a parking lot yep. instead of really seeing jesus you know kind of in the midst of yeah. his people
0: yeah
1: yeah just a. Uh... To tag on that, I, I think that, um, that that segment reminded me of the book The Way of the Heart by Henry Nouwen. Have you guys read mm, that? I have no, not. I haven't. Yeah, I mean, he's got like 50 books. But in, <laughs> in this book, uh, Henry, he gives a context for the beginnings of the monastic movement in Christianity happened in the 4th century. And what happened with Emperor Constantine is Christianity went from being a persecuted religion yeah, under the Roman I'll Empire right. to uh, a religion that was state-sanctioned. And then it kind of got co-opted by the culture. And I, I think there's always these struggles, no matter where you plant the church, You know, a lot of times it's either going to be persecuted by the dominant culture or the risk is it'll be co-opted yeah. by what Jesus calls leaven, right? the, the, yeah. the, the mores of the day. Mm-hmm. And now when solution that he presents very elegantly in the book is that we mimic uh, some of the original desert fathers and mothers uh, yeah. and where we just, we just reject culture. And we uh, say, yeah. we're not going to do it that way. And yeah, it's hard. But I don't think we need state-sanctioned persecution to get into the ways of well, God. Well, let's I, hope not. I think, no, right. no, I, think, <laughs> I think what you're saying, I think we just need uh, an iron in our spirits to say, you know, I'm going to be obedient to what God wants. And if I don't know what that is, I'm going to go off to the desert or my own fashioned desert of Prayer and fasting and resisting social media. Yeah, I mean, you can go off to a monastery if you want to do that, but you can do it in your own home. That's That's what I meant. Like, hey, there's a closet in your room. Turn it into that. And that's Noah's whole point. You can structure your time and your place to be a place where you uh, shut out the voices, where you descend into the place where you can hear God, let the scripture wash over your soul and speak to you. And then... You got to be obedient. You yeah. got to go be it. obedient. You got to be And uh, do it. If we do that, you know, we'll be seeing some of the same things that
0: the Holy Spirit's doing in the church in Iran. We'll see it here yeah. in our own neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I want to see that. Hey, guys, thanks for your enthusiasm and your passion. Uh, thanks for uh, checking this conversation out. In Dan's next video, he's going to be talking about the history of Calvary Church and how there was a pioneering spirit. We hope that you'll stay tuned with all of these.